So turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll be all over the book of Proverbs, and this is, uh, from what we can tell, the last sermon that we'll be in, in the series of Proverbs, God's Rescue Plan for Us. And it has been an absolute joy to be on the journey through this book that has lasted uh, about three months long. And I feel that my life has been changed and there's some things been sharpened and some work that needs to be done and some training that God needs to do in my life. But I pray that this sermon series has been a great blessing to you. And if there can be any part of it that can be a blessing again, it's found on our website and in the Apple podcast that we have as a church. But there's actually a logo and you'll find all the sermons that we preach on Proverbs underneath this one logo that's here on this slide. And Perhaps there's a point or something that you want to refresh yourself and be encouraged by. Uh, among the many resources on the Internet, we offer that to you as a potential blessing for you. The title of the message this morning is Decisions and Delight. Decisions and Delight, the will of God in Proverbs. I'm not a really great golfer. As a matter of fact, I, I wouldn't even call myself a golfer except that I've held a golf club and swung it a, a few times. And uh, all of us have seen golf and, and slept through a lot of golf on TV, likely. And uh, many of us have been to a miniature golf course. But I'll tell you a little story about a golfer who stepped up to a tee. And uh, as, he, as he looked out upon the fairway, he could tell that a long ways away was the hole, was the pin. And there was a, a water hazard between where he stood, you know, with everybody surrounding him. Uh, there at the tee and, and, and the, the green where he was wanting to land it on and and he was beginning to second guess, you know, can I make, can I, can I swing and, and get the ball over the water hazard or, or will the ball end up disappearing in the water? And so he went to his caddy, he went to his, his uh, golf bag and he pulled out, pulled out a, a, an old ball. He didn't have a whole lot of confidence in himself, so he, he pulled out a, a, an old ball and he put it on the tee. And everybody around him said, said, hey, you know, use the new ball, use the new ball really confident in his abilities. And so he, he gave a nod to the people and then back to his bag and he grabbed a brand new golf ball and put it on the tee. Pretty confident he was going to get it on the green in that swing. And then they said, take a practice swing, take a practice swing. And so he steps back from the tee and he, and he swung his club to just take a couple practice swings. And when he got done with that, then everybody in the audience said, use the old ball, use the old ball. It's too bad that choices like, like the ones that we make every single day are, aren't, uh, you know, uh, don't have much to do with things and have to do with sports. And matter of fact, uh, we want to do the will of God often as Christians. We want to make choices. And sometimes it's not as easy between, you know, an old ball and a new ball and a non-consequential type of swing and non-consequential type of game really when it comes to eternity. But we want to be doing the will of God. We want to be sure that we're, that we're doing it today. And any follower of Christ is really conscientious about, am I, am I serving the Lord today? Am I doing what He has asked for me to do today? Early church father Francis Assisi was, was on his day off one day. He was hoeing his garden. The story goes that someone came to him and said, what would you do if, if all of a sudden you learned that today at sunset you were to pass away? He asked the, the godly man, Francis Assisi, this, and he said, I would finish hoeing my garden. Are you serving in the will of God today? So that if someone was to say to you, what would you want to do if this was the last day? You say, I would be doing 
what I'm called to do right now. I'm just going to keep hoeing the garden. That was what God wanted me to do in the first place. Researchers at Cornell University estimate that we make, I don't know where they come up with the statistic, but since it's from a university, it must be true, that we make a, a, a series of decisions throughout the day totaling to 226.7 decisions about food in one day. I just saw someone nudge someone else. That's a lot of decisions about food. I don't know that I, you know, that I could agree or disagree. It's just, I don't know that I make that many or you do, but I don't know how accurate it is. But, but could we at least say that and, and admit that readily that, that we probably do make hundreds of decisions throughout the day? Very non-consequential things like, you know, should I stay sitting? Should I rise up? Should I stand? Should I sit? How fast do I walk in this moment? Do I open that door? Is someone going to open it for me as they walk out? You know, all these different things. We we are are making decisions like back to back to back all day long. From the time we open our eyes, and even when our eyes are so closed and the alarm goes off, uh, we're making decisions all day long. So it's no wonder that we're just exhausted at the end of the day. We're making lots and lots of decisions. And life is filled with decisions with decision making. But there are some times when we are not so quick at making decisions. We become paralyzed all of a sudden when we come across a decision in a series of making decisions and there's an opportunity in front of us and we become just a little bit less courageous about making this decision. We become maybe even confused. A man named William James says, there is no more miserable human being than one in whom nothing is habitual but indecision. Let me say that again. There's no more really more miserable person than one who is in the habit of not making decisions. In her article entitled Five Myths, and you can find this in our resources area of our church app, this article, but in her article Five Myths About Making Decisions, Amy Joseph articulates well, what sometimes are challenges in making decisions. Myth number one, she says, decision-making often is a myth, is an acute condition to be endured. Like we just have to painstakingly work through a decision. It's the most awful thing in the world to just suffer through having to make a decision. Myth number two, she says, pain or suffering is a sign that we made the wrong decision. We made a poor decision. Now that I made a decision and something becomes difficult, it must mean that I made the wrong decision. The third myth that she points out is decision-making is meant to be a merely factual process. That is, we just become cerebral about it. We become intellectual. We've gathered all the facts, and so we're just going to make a decision. It's just purely a factual, data-driven process. Not spiritually-minded, nothing of God. Myth number four, God's love for us ebbs and flows based on our decisions. Now, while, God, while the Bible addresses our God as a father, let me assure us, and we are assured throughout Scripture, that God does not love us like our fathers love us, or our mothers love us, in a sense. That is, that God's condition, His, his posture towards us, His countenance towards us, does not ebb and flow based upon our performance, even the decisions we make. 
God isn't happy at one time and sad at another, in a sense, based upon the decisions you and I make, second-guessing the birthright that He has offered for us. Myth number five, my decisions are my decisions, and they only affect me. Well, I think that's a really helpful thing, and, and I think there's probably many more myths that we could talk about, and we could each sit down and talk about the difficulties that there are an, an encumbrance upon us uh, when we're making decisions. There's a lot of things to weigh out. But the fact is that God doesn't want us to be in the dark regarding how to follow Him. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. He tells Peter and James, leave the nets there uh, uh, at the boat. Follow me. It's really the exact opposite for following God. God wants us to live and to thrive in His will. He wants us to, to live and joy in the will of the Lord. There's no doubt about it. God wants us to joy in living in His will. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. Do not be foolish. So there's two types of ways to live. That is, to live in foolishness and ignorance, or there's a way of living in understanding what the will of the Lord is. The book of Proverbs speaks much about God's will. In fact, it is probably one of the most clarifying and simplistic books to understand the will of God. It is direct. It is simplistic. And the Proverbs is hopeful. And it is meant to be. It's meant to be the will of God for, for dummies. For, for people like you and I. It's meant to be entirely forthright and practical. It isn't something to be decoded or mystified. God just says in Proverbs over and over, here's how to, how to find the will of God. This morning we're going to be looking at four truths that should shape the will of every Christian as they follow the will of the Lord found clearly written in this book of Proverbs. And so we'll be looking at these four truths. We'll be looking at what it is to walk by faith. We'll be looking at what it is to dwell in the Word. We'll be looking at what it is to gather godly counselors. And lastly, we will look at what it is to trust in God's sovereignty in His mercy and grace. So first of all, let's look at what it means to walk by faith. And there in your Bibles, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the writer of Proverbs says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. What does it mean to walk by faith is that something that we do, especially when we're trying to find the will of God, when we're trying to discern the will of God? Oh, I better get my life you know, put in order so that then I can find out. I know there's this major decision. I'm out of fellowship with God. I need to find... No, just really, the fact is that as a believer, we're just every day supposed to walk in faith. But specifically, what does it mean? How do I, how do I walk in faith? And I think, first of all, that, that we look for the message of the Spirit. By the way, there's going to be six M's in, in discerning and understanding the will of God this morning. Some of these are not unique to me. They're borrowed from an unknown other pastor. But the message of the Spirit. 
And that is, don't second guess God's sovereignty. Don't second guess God's sovereignty. We sing about it, we say it, that God is sovereign. And then when God begins to move sovereignly, that is to, 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 to move towards in a certain direction, all of a sudden we're wondering, are you really in control, God? And God's like, yes, I've been moving this direction. It is so clearly the path that I've laid out before you. I am in complete control. And the problem is, all of a sudden, we realize we're not in control. And so we second-guess God's sovereignty. And sometimes we do this by, by just inquiring just a little bit further than where we should. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses reminds the people through God's words, and he says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Yes, there is in heaven a, a divine prerogative to, to veil the ways and the counsel of God. God does not feel responsible to, to, um, to relate to us the reasons for all of His decisions. And many of us will live our entire lives perplexed at the major movements of God in our life and why He allowed something to happen and why He purposed for something. Moses says there are some things that are in the secret will of God that, that uh, we need to surrender and say, God, this is never going to be known to me. But what I will act upon is what you have made known very clearly to me. And I want my children and I want the children around me to see that there is enough that you have revealed for me to trust in you and to live for you. So we, we trust in divine providence. We trust in how circumstances are unfolding by God's providence. We trust in His ways and His paths. Notice, as Solomon says in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, he says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Observe what God seems to be doing. Take an assessment and gather what's going on around you. Observe what God seems to be doing. Close your eyes and open them. Close your eyes in prayer and then look and behold answers to prayer. Close your eyes and open them over and over again. Oh God, would you do this? Open your eyes. Oh, there's God doing this. It isn't exactly how I would have thought it would be done, but I'm going to follow you. Lord, do this. And now you open your eyes again and Watch Him work in His ways. Live in the mode of prayer. Live in the mode of prayer. Not only look for the message of the Spirit, but, but live in dependence of prayer, both with your eyes closed and your eyes open. That is, pray with your eyes open. Oh, that's what you're doing, God. God has shown us that there is an exclusivity about His knowledge. The secret things belong to the Lord. In Proverbs 19.21, Proverbs sort of reiterates this, Proverbs 29, 29, Deuteronomy 29.29, 29. and so the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I love how Job expressed it in his prayer as he closes out his conversation with the Lord. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
So we live in the mode of prayer. We look for the message of the Spirit in how God is orchestrating, how God is working things up. What seems to be readily apparent? And then the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. That is that God has given sufficient revelation for us to obey Him at all points in our life. There is not times when God says, well, you're excused from obeying me. You're excused from having faith in me because I haven't given you enough. God promises for every part in every stage in every season, even in the season of, of waiting to make a decision, God demands faith and obedience even while the decision remains to be made. Peter said, and he was convinced by the Spirit's inspiration, that God has given us all knowledge in order to obey Him. Even when all of the data hasn't been gathered up, there is opportunity to still look unto the Lord. So we walk by faith. Now this is unusual. This is very different for us to think about. The fact that God has called us to walk by faith. I don't know about you, but I would rather walk by sight. But the will of God is walked by faith before it's walked by sight. We use our sights, we use our sight line, but it's, we walk by faith. We walk by faith and we enter into the Word of God. Now we do a plenty of talking to the Lord as we pray to Him and we live in, in the mode of prayer and we seek out to the message of the Spirit, observing all the things around us. But listen, we must, we must be listening to the very voice of God in the Word of God. But since you're there, just turn one page over in your Bibles and look at Proverbs 2, 1-4. through 4. The writer of Proverbs of Solomon here, he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand what the fear of the Lord is and find the knowledge of God. Where are we to seek the wisdom of God? Where are we to incline our hearts to understanding? I tell you that we must go to the, to the Word of God with, with the heart intent. Oh God, help me in this time. Speak to me through Your Word. Let me know what to do. I, I'm really at a point of indecision here. There, there's decisions being made all around me, but this one seems so so significant. And I want to be sure to follow You. I want to be sure to, to obey You. But Lord, You must speak to me. And we cry out to the Lord. And then we are quiet. And we let Him speak to us by the means of His Word. And that is exactly what the writer of Solomon, the writer Solomon is saying to his son here. He's not saying necessarily, hey, you, we need to have a power between the father and the son. He's saying, listen, you, you give yourself to the Word of God. You come as someone who's hungry to the table and let God open up the feast of truth when you open up your Bible. And let that hunger of your soul and let the hunger for peace be satisfied when you hear the voice of the shepherd say, come this way, follow me. Get used to hearing the voice of of the shepherd through the Word of God. Dwell in the Word of God. Let God's thoughts become your thoughts. Let His counsel become your voice. 
Let His truth become your compass. You cannot trust yourself. You can't trust the data. You can't trust the perceptions. Go and live in the Word of God. We have a responsibility to receive the Word of God. Notice He says, you receive My words. You need to receive the Word of God. Is your Bible open, Christian? Or is it just useful? Are you receiving the Word of God and receiving it like, notice He says in verse number 1, receive My words and treasure them up. Oh, this is a good one. Oh Lord, You have spoken to me in this way. What would I have done without hearing Your voice on this today? And He says, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understand it. We receive it. We treasure it. And then we begin to apply We let it simmer and soak inside of us. Often the psalmist says, he uses the word meditation, lets it simmer, cook into you. Let the feast of the Word of God become a feast for your soul. And as you're in the Word of God, plead, God, you, you must speak to me. Cry out to the Lord with your Bible open. Lord, speak. Unless you say something, I die. Unless you say something, I cannot know what your will is. Lord, speak to me. Teach me your ways. My heart is inclined unto you. Lord, I need to hear your voice. Cry out for God's voice. But don't do it with your Bible closed. Dwell in the Word of God. And search it out and know that He is is speaking to you. Search it out. Seek it, verse number 4, like silver. Oh, where's, what's God going to say about this? How does God want to train my heart in this way? Search for it as hidden treasures. Oh, do you view the Word of God like that? God's not hiding treasures, mind you. It's that He's looking for miners who will go in and they will find the treasure. It's all there. Will you go in to seek it out? It's all there. So you will find the knowledge of the Lord, he says in verse 5. And then you will understand what it is to fear the Lord and to find the knowledge of God. Writer Proverbs goes on in 8.34, he said, Blessed is the one who listens to me. It was using the anthropomorphic idea and the metaphor of wisdom crying in the streets who says, blessed is the one who listens to me. Watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Is that how eager you are to hear the voice of God? Blessed is the one who says, unless you speak, I die. Proverbs 28.9 says, says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, that is the word of God, even his prayer is an abomination. Are you dwelling in the word? You say, I walk with the Lord. I I pray to Him. 
I, I go to church. I'm, I mean, there's not a lot between me and him. I'm not a perfect Christian, but I, you know, I'm okay. If your Bible's closed, he says your prayer is insulting. You ever been with someone who all they can do is talk about themselves? And you can't get a word in edgewise. You've got to find a way to socially take a cue and figure out a way to move away from them, break off the conversation because the conversation's entirely one-sided. If one turns away his he- ear from hearing the law, what God has to say, even his prayer, what he says to God, is insulting. And so search the model of Scripture search it out. Search the model of Scripture. Look into the Word of God and find how has God always been acting in His people's lives. I find this to be tremendously encouraging at several checkpoints in my life where I've had to make decisions about even how I would serve the Lord in in my calling to be a pastor in some other significant areas. I've gone back to the Word of God and said, Lord, what was it like when you did this with these people? Because I I think I'm, I mean, I'm a same, I'm a person too. And I'm going through this time. How did you speak to them? What was your counsel to them? What was your command? What was their response? Was it right? What could be different about my response than theirs? And so search the model of Scripture chances are someone has walked down the same path you are walking down. In Scripture. I think sometimes we come at God and we say, God, this is just really unique. You have never heard this story before. Lord, let me tell you about the complexities of my problems. Here's all the decisions I have to make. Here's my, uh, you know, my part in these decisions. Here's this other person's part that affects it in positive and negative ways. Lord, this is really unusual. I bet you're stumped. Let me tell you what you need to tell me about this decision. Because I'm so unique. My friend, look into Scripture and search the model of how God treats His children and find that God doesn't seek to diminish the importance of your problem. Not at all. God doesn't approach you when you come and pray to Him and say, Lord, I need wisdom. You say, oh my word, you need wisdom for that? Oh, that is so easy. I'm not even helping you. Go figure it out. He says, child, I love to hear you when you come to me. Now, will you listen? See, I, I did that. I did that in Moses' life and, and I did that, something like that. It actually had a lot greater meaning in Esther's life and, and I was working in Ruth's life and I was doing this in Job's life. It was difficult, but I walked with him every day and, and I was working with David in the caves on the run from his son Absalom and from King Saul and, and I was working through the prophets who got no reward for living righteously here on this earth. And then I sent my son and he walked in the same shoes as you walk. And now I've sent the Spirit and he knows he's been telling me all about what your situation's like. Believe me, I know more about your problem than you do. And I'm going to give you wisdom. Will you incline your ear? 
And so before we even, and as as we read of the model of Scripture, we also look, Lord, is there, is there things that I'm knowingly doing that are not in the will of God? And so we look at some of the mandates in Scripture. And the writer of Proverbs talks about, Proverbs 13, 13, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. There's several mandates where it just says, are you, are you living in the training of godliness right now? Like, it's all the rest of your life out of control, but you want to know the will of God for this one life and say, God, I just fearlessly want to obey you. I mean, I, I want to like knock this one out of the park. It's a really major decision, uh, but I'm going to like be a motor mouth. I'm not going to submit my tongue to you. Or there's other mandates in Proverbs, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. The mandate, uh, Lord, I, I mean, I'm going to live my own life, but this one area, I mean, I just really want your blessing on it because it's so significant. It's going to impact so many things and other people and the whole trajectory of my life. But like, you know, hey, every day, let's just make a deal. You make the big decisions, I'll make the everyday decisions. Proverbs 6.20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. We'll look at this later on, but, but like, do what you know to be right, like today. Don't look at this great thing as, God, this is going to be something I'm going to do for you if you show it to me to be your will. Walk today in the will of God. My son, keep my words, Proverbs 7, 1, and treasure up my commandments with you. And 19.27, cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. And so, so as you're looking into the Scriptures, let God train your heart to be obeying Him in this stuff of life, in the control of your heart. The second, uh, I'm sorry, thirdly, gather godly counselors. Gather godly counselors. Submit to the ministry of Eli. And so there's the model of Scripture, there's the mandates in Scripture, there's the message of the Spirit, and there's the ministry of Eli. As an illustration of this point, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And Samuel was a young man, and, and he had been offered over by his, his mother Hannah to, to serve in the temple underneath the godly priest Eli. And just as a young man was not completely clear what God would have in store for him, but, but uh, his, his mother's prayer was that he would be a servant of the Lord. And, and it is here in the beginning of 1 Samuel that we find out how God would send Samuel on a trajectory of being really a, a very faithful prophet. And I, I love the story and life of Samuel. And I love the story of David. I think one, one of the second people, I, I, just, I, I look forward, I think someday, when, when I meet these great saints, I think I'm going to you know, meet David. I think right next to him is going to be Samuel. I think the two are right next to each other, almost as a, a mentor and, and, a, and uh, a protege. First Samuel chapter 3, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, 
I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Samuel perceived that the Lord was... Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Don't you love that? Speak for your servant hears. Do you have ears to hear what the Lord has to say? Who around you is directing you to pray to the Lord and seek Him in His Word and call you to obey Him? Who around you is doing that? Firstly, it is those who God has appointed in your life as spiritual leaders. This includes church pastors, parents, even godly friends who have proven that they themselves are following faithfully after the Lord. Enlist them. And go to them and say, I, I hear the voice of the Lord. I, I want your counsel. I want your prayer. You walk with the Lord and I, I, I want to walk with the Lord too. And What do you see in this? And enlist them for prayer. God has gifted the church with spiritual leaders to lead even in the everyday not to just lead in worship services, but to help guide and to shepherd through the valleys and through the green pastures and, and on, the, on the high places. These shepherds also take the form of friends, godly friends, not just any friends, but godly friends. Listen as the writer of Proverbs, probably more than any other book in the Bible, speaks about the value of godly counsel. In Proverbs 20, verse 18, plans are established by counsel. By wise guidance, wage war. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 23.22 says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Notice there is an age even thing there, where you're seeking after those who have gone before you, maybe even walked some of the same path, that they might impart to you wisdom. Even your parents. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Do you have a friend who will tell you the truth even if it hurts? There's another question. Are you willing to listen to a friend if he's willing to wound you 
Proverbs 15:31 and 32 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof, correction, change, something they weren't expecting to hear, he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 28:23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So be careful not to just look for affirmation when you seek the counsel of godly people. Walter Knight, a historian, told of an old Scottish woman who was so poor and she would make she would make little sweaters and things, roaming the countryside, just looking to gain some sort of income with her thread and her shoestrings and her buttons. And she would go from town to town, and whenever she would be done working in one town, she would move on to the next. And the way that she would do that is she would leave a town, and she would come to an intersection, and she would throw a stick into the road. And, and she, whatever direction the stick was pointing, she would go towards that direction to find the next town to walk into and to sell her wares off her services. One day, some, some guy came along her path, and, and he saw her throwing the stick into the road, and he saw her pick it up and throw it again and pick it up and throw it again. She had done this many times. And he's, woman, what, what are you doing here? And she told him, well, I just throw the stick and I find out whatever direction it's... He said, well, why aren't, why aren't you going the direction it's throwing? Said, I don't like that direction. The fact is that we sometimes go to counsel and we hear what we want to hear. And sometimes it's because we've cho- chosen the wrong counselors because they may not even have wisdom to impart to us or sometimes they're just in the wrong vein and they're just offering to us something because they don't understand that sometimes faithful are the wounds of a friend. And they don't want to feel uncomfortable and tell you something you don't want to hear so they just go for the lower level, the lower shelf and say, well, here's something. Sometimes the fault is really with our ears and heart. We're really not willing to listen to what they have to say. And we only hear what we want to hear. And we dismiss everything else. So we need to have the model of ministry of Eli. We go to a friend and they say, you need to say, Lord, speak for your servant hears. And they encourage you to dwell in the Word and they labor with you in prayer and they tell you things in wisdom that might run across the grain of your pride and you take it all. And the last last part of our obedience in shaping our will to the will of God is trust in God's sovereign mercy and grace. Matthew 25, 20 and 21, Jesus shares a parable about talents. And there were these men who received some money. Some went and invested this money. And some didn't. One didn't. He buried it. And when the owner, when the original investor came back to these 
four different servants and said, What did you do with the money I gave you? He rewarded them according to their obedience. But I notice in verse 20 and 21 of Matthew 25, Jesus talks about it this way, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set over I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. As we're seeking to obey God and seeking to to follow him in his will, do little things well. Obey what you know to be obeyed. When God is speaking to you, when God is giving his mandates in the scripture, when God is training your heart, do the little things obediently. I think sometimes we overestimate ourselves and our abilities. As we had referenced before, sometimes we're like, God, there's this really big thing that I want to, I want to serve you with. I really have this idea. It's really going to be great. I really think it's a plan. It's really something significant, a significant change or decision I have to make in my life. Meantime, we're just not even... We're not even making our bed. Lord, I'll die for you. And we don't even live for it. And Jesus in the parable shows us, and he just says it right out, you have been faithful over a little. And I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of of the Master. Expect the mercy and grace of God sovereignly working itself out as you step forward in faith. God will work out what He intends to do. God is sovereign. You will not mess up his plan. He is sovereign in enablement and he is sovereign in mercy. I think so often we are confident God will give us the strength to do the will of God if he will just show it to us. But we're not confident enough to step in to know to, to walk by faith and start to accomplish what has been revealed to us. And we wonder if we, if we mess up a little or a lot, can God recover? Is the sovereignty of God all of a sudden assaulted, diminished, is his arm all of a sudden twisted behind his back because I just went down the wrong path. Philippians 2.13, the Apostle Paul assures the people in Philippi. He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God isn't only working through you when you obey. God isn't only accomplishing His will. He isn't 
only doing and accomplishing His great purposes in your life, when you are 100% perfect, complete, everything is spelled out, everything is laid out, and you now know without shadow of a doubt, the fleece is wet, the fleece is dry, it's this and that, and now it is, God is able to do His will and work through you and I, knowing we are imperfectly fulfilling His will. Has anyone ever 100% fulfilled the will of God in their life? One man. And then He gave you the righteousness so that you stand before God as Him who has accomplished His will. Walk in the confidence of Christ, not self-confidence. His completion of the will of God, the total pleasure of God, has been imputed to you, has been granted unto you as credit, as merit, so that even in if God was to wait for a servant to perfectly accomplish His will, then He would never be able to use people like you and I. And so, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You have plans, but God accomplishes His purpose. Proverbs 26.3 Listen to the counsel. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Say, Pastor Jerry, that sounds awful. A whip for the horse? A horse needs a whip because it's too hasty. It rushes the head. A bridle for the donkey because the mule is, is too stubborn. It, it won't budge. Neither one of those are acceptable. Both of those are like a fool who deserves a rod on his back. These are not a wise man, as in Proverbs. Don't be hasty like the horse. Don't be stubborn like a mule. Proverbs twenty twenty four. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? You say, I don't understand how in obeying God in this, that God's going to accomplish His will through me. We don't wait till God shows us the results to obey Him. We follow God. We follow Jesus. Leave your nets. Take up your cross. Follow me. Follow Him. Keep your eyes on Him. Move forward keeping your plans in God's hands. We are followers of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We're followers of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means we actually, in every way, we follow Him. What does it mean to follow Jesus if we don't ever know what He wants us to do or where He wants us to go? Following Jesus involves both decision and delight. But so often we forget about the delight part. And the more I read Scripture and the longer I walk with the Lord, the more that I have learned that following Jesus is less about making decisions and more about delighting in His presence and leading. 
When we give ourselves to behold Jesus, when we give ourselves to exploring the rich treasure of finding, of searching like a treasure, of finding joy and satisfaction and contentment with Jesus, then when each day we follow Him, we have the advantage to look back and see that somewhere along the way, decisions were made, decision after decision, to get where we are, And we didn't feel like it then because our eyes were just on Jesus. We weren't throwing the stick into the middle of the road and like constantly reevaluating whether considering whether or not that should be the direction. Our eyes were on Jesus. We were just following Him. Then all of a sudden we realized, how did I get here? By following Jesus. Essentially, the one who fears God. The one whose delight is unparalleled by anything other than Him. That one, in the book of Proverbs, the Spirit says, can do anything they want. Did you hear what I just said? The one whose supreme satisfaction and contentment is rooted in beholding God can do anything they want. And it's the will of God. You say, Pastor Jerry, we're running you out of here on a rail. That just sounds so heretical. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. When you desire God and His kingdom and His righteousness, All these things will be added unto you. When your desire is to love God supremely, then your desires become shaped by Him. They are no longer your desires. Psalm 37.4 doesn't mean God's going to give you what you want. It means He's going to change your wanter when all you want is Him. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You see, decisions really are delightful when we follow Jesus Christ. When He is your delight, your decisions become the will of the Lord. Let's pray.